Before we open God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be in your house, to be gathered together freely to worship, to sing praises to you. Lord, you alone are worthy of all the praise that we could ever give. Um, And we thank you um, and praise you for your mercy that we see through Jesus Christ. Um, Father, that we experience through his shed blood and through the resurrection and through the power of the Holy Spirit that, that can indwell us and and that allows us to work for your purpose. Lord, we pray that um, this morning as we have gathered that you will speak in spite of me. Father, that your words would flow forth, that that they would convict and shape and mold um, each of us to better serve you, to glorify you. Father, that you would provide comfort through your word, you'd provide healing through your word, um, that you provide clarity as to who we ought to be Father, we pray that, um, that as you know our needs and our struggles, uh, Lord, that, that your word would hit home individually. Lord, help us all to realize our need for you and our dependence on you. And help us all to recognize the potential that we have in you um, and that you desire for us. Lord, cause us to repent. Cause us to have comfort in you. I mean, in the knowledge that that you can be our Father. So teach us, Father, now. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was thinking of a... uh, of an anecdote that would be appropriate, or story that would be appropriate for the, to really hit home some of the thoughts behind the message this morning. And um, somebody had uh, actually sent me a note via LinkedIn reminding me of something I'd shared a long, long time ago. Um, and I thought it's actually very appropriate uh, f- for this message. Um, and it's a story of a man who went to buy a chainsaw. And so he went to his local lawn maintenance store and asked for the best chainsaw that they had. And, uh, you know, and the guy, the service guy, is like, well, this is it, right? Whether it's your steel or whichever one you guys all use, it doesn't matter, but he had the best one in his store, and he's like, this is it, this is, this is it. You can't get any better than this saw. And the guy's like, I'll take it. And, and he goes, do you want a demo? Want me to show you what it can do? He's like, nope, I got this. And so takes the ch- saw, um, comes back a few days later just with a visible look of frustration on his face and uh and goes back to the same guy behind the service counter and he goes this saw is garbage Um, it just it's awful i'm not getting anywhere with this saw And, and you know the guy behind the counter is surprised because he really did sell him the best chainsaw and uh and he goes well let's let's go let's go in the back and test it together let's just see what's going on with this saw. So they go out in the back where they had, you know, wood for testing and stuff. And he gets the chainsaw out, pulls the choke, sets it up, and boom, gets it started right in the, the saw. Like, and and, and, and the, the customer jumps back and, and hollers, what's that noise? Um, <laughs> so he's trying to use a chainsaw without turning it on. And if you've ever used a chainsaw, right, you're not going to get very far 
without the engine running. Um, and and the, you know, there, there's a lot of actually different points that you can use with that story. Um, it, it can, it can, you can use the analogy and, and the story as, as trying to live as a believer without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Could be a great, great angle to take with that story. But the, the, the thought for, for the message this morning is actually one that, that is around the, the idea that sometimes we think we know. And we don't ask for direction. And we don't listen to, to counsel. Right? We think we know. Um, and this man thought he had it. He knew how a saw works, because how hard can it be to use a saw, right? You, you put it on a piece of wood and you pull back and forth. <laughs> and it works. Um, but you don't know what you don't know. And that's what this man found out. And um, today, we're going to be actually looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're going to be looking at the part in, in Luke, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, and, and looking at that portion. However, um, just to get us started, there's a little bit more clarity um, as to the context in Matthew, in, in, the, in the Gospel of according to Matthew. And in, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, um, just before he, Jesus goes into the Beatitudes, we read this. Um, in the first verse of Matthew chapter 5, we read, And seeing the multitudes... He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came into him. And so Matthew chapter five or Matthew chapter four talks about some of the early works of Jesus at the start of his ministry, um, and his ministry in Galilee, and that crowds gather, right? And so you you get the sense here that there's crowds that are gathering. Verse twenty five, and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and beyond Jordan. Um, and so that's the, the preface or the context uh, to the start of chapter 5. And then at the end of actually in Matthew, in the, at the end of chapter 7, um, we read, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished, were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as, ha- as one having authority and not as the scribes. So, um, you know, generally that the, the portion that we didn't read between the beginning of chapter 5 and the end of chapter 7 is, is known, affectionately known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the, um, some, some of the really powerful teachings of Jesus um, when he talks about the Beatitudes and the similitudes, etc. So just to set the context that, um, that his disciples came, uh, we don't know who else came, but we sense that there were more than just the twelve. Uh, because that the, the the idea that people were astonished at these teachings, so he might have gone up to the um, gone up onto the mountain with disciples. We don't know how many of disciples this is referring to. There's no context that says it was only the twelve or that it was everybody who saw themselves as a disciple at this time. But there was a, a group of people that Jesus is teaching, um, and so we go to Luke chapter seven, uh, and we're going to start with verse twenty-seven, just because otherwise we will be here way past lunch. Um, but we start with, uh, with Luke 7.27, and we, we read um, a, a portion of Scripture titled The Rules of Kingdom Life, right? That these are some of the rules that we need to go by. Um, and remember that when Jesus was finished with all of this, the people were astonished. Um, and so we start with the first one. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. Now, um, if we just hold there for a second 
Jesus also taught, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, right? Um, but I say unto you something else. And so um, here we see just a slight variation on that thought. Um, and so we, we know, based on what we read, what the people were expecting. And that what the people were expecting of the teaching in, in Luke um, 6.27, and I'm sorry, I don't know if I said 7.27, no, I did, okay, my wife's looking at me nodding, I said 7.27, um, you know, when you got your Bible open, and it says chapter 7, and it's also chapter 6, you run into that sometimes, so it's Luke 6.27, my bad, um, <laughs> uh, when Jesus says, but I say unto you which here, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, um, the, the, the thought is that the people expected an, a teaching about um, payback, an eye for an eye. And so, so this, is, this is new, right? This is not something that they're expecting because Jesus reminded them elsewhere, you heard an eye for an eye, but I say unto you something else, right? And so they expected an eye for an eye. They're hearing here in Luke 6.27, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Um, is this new knowledge? Is this new knowledge for the Jewish people? Right? They were surprised. We read elsewhere. We read that this was, they were astonished even at these teachings. But should they have been astonished? Should they have been surprised? Right? The answer is no. I mean, I'm kind of teeing it up. You, you can guess by the way I'm bringing it up that the answer is no. If you turn to Exodus with me, um, we're going to just look at, at some verses in, in very early um, in Scripture. And so in the, the second book of Moses, right, we're going a little ways back here. Um, in Exodus 23, and we're just going to dive into just a couple verses. You can read more about this if you read the first nine verses of Exodus 23. We're not going to take that time. But we read in verse 4 of Exodus 23, if thou, if thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden and wouldst forbear to help them, thou shalt surely help with him. Interesting. Second book of Moses. Pretty early in what we read as far as the written record of the Bible. Pretty early. We read that you're supposed to, ready? Do good to your enemy. Do good to the one that would hurt you. But yet, the people are astonished at Jesus' teaching. And they're expecting an eye for an eye. Yet Exodus says this. If we turn to Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, now we're at the third book of the Bible, um, and we go to chapter 19, And we read um, in verse 18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt, ready, love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Interesting. Interesting that, that we have a couple passages here 
um, at the, the second book and the third book of the Bible, the second, third book of Moses, um, extremely early in the writings that we have that start to establish a character that God expects for his people to have. And yet the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching and had very different expectations about what kingdom life looked like. Um, we go to the next verse um, in Luke 6, for verse 28. It says, Bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you. In verse 29, And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Do you remember, um, remember David uh, when he was dealing with Saul? Now, David did it because he was the king's, because he was God's anointed. Saul was God's anointed. But remember the response of David, a man after God's own heart, um, as God called him, um, when Saul is out to kill him. Not only does Saul is out, not only is Saul out to kill him, but Saul has a vendetta against David and is out pursuing him with his army, chasing him around the countryside, hoping to find him, catch him, and kill him. Right? It's, not even, it's not even like just he was angry with him one day and threw the spear. Right? He's got a vendetta against David. He's out to get David. And yet, what is David's response? In 1 Samuel 24, 12, um, the Lord judge between me and thee, and the, Lord, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. Right? And so we see, uh, we see a character of God in David as, as a man after God's own heart. That, that, again, the, the people should have picked up on. Right? The, so, this, and so we're going to keep going. Um, in, in verse 30 of Luke 6, Give it to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, 15, 7 through 8, If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. In Psalm 41, verse 1, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. So the point I'm making, hopefully um, you're, you're seeing the point, is that there are plenty of Old Testament references that the Jewish people should have understood applied to God's idea, God's intent for what being, being part of God's kingdom looked like. And yet, this was not commonly done in Jesus' time. Right? This was totally not commonly done in Jesus' time. And the question is, why? Why is that? Where is the miss? Where is the gap that caused the people to, to, to live so differently from what God was actually telling them a long time ago that they should be living like. You know, um, Jesus starts to, to hammer even further in Luke 6. Um, in verse 32, he says, For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them 
of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. And so think about that for a second. It, it, seems, it sounds so simple, but it's actually relatively profound in the context of what we're talking about. Jesus says, if you love those people that love you, what's, what good is it? Right? Because any one of us, any one of us, from the worst person to the best person, would expect that if I love you, you're going to love me back, right? And there's, there's all the reason in the world for me to love you if I know that it's going to be reciprocated. If, if I have full confidence that any money I give you is going to be paid back, everybody does that. Of course, if, if, if I told you that if you lend me money, and if you lend somebody money, you're going to be guaranteed a 10% return on your money, guaranteed, right? How many people would say, well, I'm not going to lend? If, if I've got money, I'm going to say, oh, of course I'm going to lend, especially with the economy and, the, and doing what it's doing today and the stock market doing what it's doing today. If you're telling me you're guaranteeing me a 10% return, I'm going to lend. I don't care who I lend to. Um, I'm going to lend. And so Jesus is saying, if, if you're lending to those who are you, you know are going to pay you back, what's the point? Because everybody would do that. And everybody would love somebody that loves them. And everybody would do good to somebody that does good back. So he, he stops there. Because he had already said these verses that we just read ahead of them. But do, do you see the opposite of what he says in verse 32, 33, 34? Right, the opposite, the implied statement is that the expectation for kingdom life, the expectation for being in the kingdom is to love the person that doesn't love, is to lend and give to the person that's not going to give back. It's to do good to the one that's not going to give good back. Right? That's the expectation. The people at the time were totally missing that. We're totally missing that. And so why were they missing that? Um, you think you know? You think you got it? Just like the man with the chainsaw? I got this. Jewish people perhaps thought, I got this. I got this. Now, we get hints in, in Matthew chapter 7 at the very end there when, when it says the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching and his doctrine for he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the, the, if you think about the implications of, of Jesus' teaching as one having authority and as being a teacher, right? He was teaching as one who understood what he was teaching, um, as one who was authorized to explain things, not as the scribes. The implication would be that the scribes would have been just quoting would have been just reading, would have just been saying the same thing over and over again, and that there was no explanation in a clear way that tied with what they read. And so it probably, over the years, became ritual, became rote, R-O-T-E, in the sense that, that, that you just did church, right? You, you did what you did because that's what you did. <laughs> so... The Jewish people were going to synagogue. They were listening to what was being read. It was monotonous. It was 
boring, it was consistent, it was always the same, and they could quote it inside and out, backwards, forwards, upside down, but it meant nothing. Because we know, because we got this. And so as I was pondering this, and, and as I was pondering this, this passage, um, I was thinking, do we ever do that? Do we ever think we got this? Does church ever just become doing church? Because why? Because that's what we do. Um, I don't know. I'll leave that there kind of to hang out there for you to ponder as we move on for a little bit. Um, And maybe we can circle back and see what the Lord provides toward the end. Um, Jesus continues in Luke chapter 6, and we're just going to jump to verse 39. And he speaks, he says, and he spake a parable unto them. And, uh, you know, full transparency, as I was reading these, and I was actually listening to this on my way to work one morning, um, and this one verse really caught my eye, and then this expanded into this whole study that I'm sharing with you this morning. Um, Jesus spake a parable unto them, and he simply says, can the blind lead the blind? And I want to paint a picture for you of what um, the blind leading the blind might be. I was thinking about this. It's maybe a little bit deeper than, than the guy with the chainsaw. Um, but the best, best example that I could come up with is being in Home Depot. Um, right, so hopefully, at least all the guys I know, I, I mean, if I know Carrie, she loves going to Home Depot with me too, um, right? and Mia does too. Uh, so maybe this applies to everybody, right? But Home Depot, big box store, um, all the shelves all the way up high, wide aisles, um, they move specials around sometimes. Those center, that, that front aisle is pretty full of stuff. Um, you don't always know what you're going to find in that front aisle, and they're constantly moving that front area. You can tell I spend way too much time at Home Depot. Um, uh, and, uh, and I want you to imagine being there, being in the bowels of Home Depot, maybe in the ceramic section somewhere um, towards the back, and, uh, and smoke starts to fill Home Depot. Now, I picked Home Depot because it's tall, right? So it takes a ton of smoke to fill up Home Depot. You have a lot of time generally to get out before you couldn't see. But imagine that it fills up so much that it is like down chest level, stomach level, and, and it's smoke. And, and this idea of the word blind in Luke 6, um, the, 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 the image that we're supposed to get out of that word is not somebody who's literally blind, like the blind man, right? It's actually not being able to see. And so it's like smoke coming in and, and you can't see and you're straining to see, but you can't see. And so you're at Home Depot, and maybe you fall on your knees to try to, to see where to go, but you can't. Your eyes are watering. The smoke is wafting. You kind of get a sense of some shelving in some places as the smoke is moving around, but you can't really see, and you're desperately trying to see, and you're starting to choke, and you're starting to gag, and, and you're really starting to freak out that you're not going to get out of this store because, because you're in the middle of the store. And 
I know Home Depot enough, right, that if I could actually make my way to start touching and start to feel that if I knew that I was feeling a toilet, um, I could probably get myself out of the store, ironically. Um, but, but the toilets are up high. The boxes are down low, right? So all you're doing is touching boxes and you're in a smoke-filled Home Depot and you're choking and it's smoke and you can't see and you need to get out. And as you start to panic, and it doesn't have to be Home Depot, by the way. It could be Costco or Sam's Club or something else, too, for those of you that, that don't go to Home Depot. Um, as you're panicking, trying to get out, right, somebody, somebody grabs your arm and says, I got you. Just hold on to me. We'll get out. Right, talk about, I mean, there's probably still panic. There's probably still the, the tears coming down because the smoke's filling your eyes. You're still gagging, but you're going to hold on to that person with desperation, aren't you? Right. Because they're your ticket out. And you're assuming maybe it's a fireman. But as you're moving, you keep bumping into them because they keep stopping very abruptly. And to make a long story a little bit shorter, you quickly realize they don't know where they're going. Right? That they're feeling around and bumping and moving and, and they don't know where they're going either. The blind leading the blind. You would never... <laughs> expect somebody, right? Would you, if you were trying to get out of Home Depot in a fire and you ran into somebody and you couldn't see and you couldn't do anything, would you grab them and say, hey, I got this, follow me? Absolutely not. None of us would do that. It doesn't make any sense. We might say, let's fall out, okay, get on your knees, get on your stomach, yell for help, let's, let's get where the fresh air is, let's figure out if we can do this together. That, that might make sense, right? We could all come up with different ways that we might do something, but none of us would say, I got this. But Jesus is painting a picture of a situation where people say, I got this, in a situation like that, right? He says, um, and he spake a parable unto them, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they both not fall into the ditch? The modern day interpretation, the, the, uh, the Bob Varga analogy or word picture is, don't they both end up dying in Home Depot? And so we see the buildup that, that, there was an, that, that, the, that the people, and more specifically the leaders, said they got this. I got this. I know what I'm doing. But they didn't. They didn't. And the people were also just following Instead of asking questions, they were just following. And in the next verse, Jesus says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of examples that we could use this. Um, the student that thinks he understands. The student that, you know, sh show me, 
Show me how to use something once and then I'll go figure it out on my own, right? Um, uh, you, can, you can paint all kinds of word pictures with this. But the idea being that if I'm a disciple of the master, I can't get ahead of the master. I need to follow the master rather than just step in front and say, I got this or I know what I'm doing. Or this is pretty easy. This is just rote. I just do this over and over again. And, and, and then Jesus goes into a couple of thoughts, and this starts to get to the, maybe some of the things that we can all consider um, in this message. And Jesus says in these famous passages that probably most of us remember, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? And so moat and beam might not translate well to us, right? We don't know what a moat is, but a moat, modern, modern definition would be sliver, a speck, a little, little dot of something in the eye. Now, a little dot in the eye can be irritating, right? But, but Jesus is making a point here because you know what a, a beam is? A beam's like a two-by-four. Okay, so he's comparing. Jesus is literally saying, um, why don't you notice that you have a two-by-four in your eye? And how is it that you notice the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't realize that you got the two-by-four? And, and that's not supposed to happen. It can't really happen. But Jesus is making a point that you've got a huge, huge thing in your eye, but yet you notice somebody else's. Um, and this been, it brings up an interesting topic, sin. Um, you know, for some of us, we take sin very lightly. And, you know, we might be fall into that category of just saying, you know, sin is sin. Um, all sin is the same. God loves me. Um, I'm his child. I'm good. And it doesn't matter that I sin because I'm his child. Um, others of us might be bound to, to sin so much that we can't move. We're frozen. Um, and it becomes a form of legalism in of itself. That, that I'm justified, that, that I don't even recognize that God loves me and is merciful to me, that I'm bound by being perfect and doing the right thing every time, right? That, there's, there's these extremes that, that people live in. Um, what's, what's being tackled here, and I need to share the extremes because what's being tackled here is a self-justification, is, is, a, is an attitude that Jesus is portraying in the people that... Um, that they have compared themselves to each other and found that they're better than the people around them um, and have justified themselves as compared to the people around. And I'd say that's probably the predominant view today for many of us. Like, how do you know you're a good person um, in the world today? How do you know you're a good person? Well, you kind of look at who's not doing good. You've, you've, you know what the definition of good is in our cultural and our worldview of what is expected to be good. You look at people who aren't doing it, you compare yourself to them, and you say, I'm better than they are, right? 
I'm a good person because I'm better than the people who aren't as good as I am. And how you define good? Well, it depends on our worldview and what we use as the definition. Um, hopefully, we're more mature than that. Hopefully, we use the word um, and, and always look into the word and compare ourselves to the word. Um, the people at this time had gotten in front of God, had gotten ahead of God, and they were self-justifying themselves. And, and this, this passage, this, this statement in verse 41 that Jesus makes is huge because um, the people at the time, as I was saying, were comparing themselves to each other. They were seeing themselves better than others and were feeling that they were good. And then they looked at everybody else and they just saw how awful they were. Right? I looked at you know, I look at you and dude, you're you're an awful sinner, right? I can't believe that sin that's in your life without ever realizing that they had a two by four in their own eye. And so what they were seeing was they were seeing the little speck and everybody else, but not seeing the sin that they had. Jesus makes a point here, um, and it's, if you think about what I'm about to say and think about how this comes up in this passage, we need to see our sin as greater than the sin of those around us. I'm going to say that one more time. We need to see our sin as greater than the sin of those around us. Right? Why is it that you identify the speck that is in somebody else's eye but can't see the beam that is in your own, own eye? Um, that sin might have been the same thing. Was it worse? Was it greater? We don't know. He doesn't say what sin that they were actually dealing with. But they missed the fact that, that sin is huge in God's eyes and that I need to repent of it and that I need to look at myself before I look at everybody else. And so what was happening is us justifying myself, even though I might have this awful sin, and we know that they did, Sorry, I'm getting ahead. Uh, we know that they had this, that they, that they were dealing with awful sins, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because Jesus just rails on them over and over and over again. And so we know that that's who he's really talking about in this context, as he's telling his disciples, don't be like that, right? Don't be like that. And so don't justify yourselves by, by looking at those around you and seeing how awful they are and saying, I'm great. You can't do that. Right? You can't do that. Otherwise, if you do that, you're the blind leading the blind. You become the blind. So you can't, you have to recognize that your sin is great. You have to recognize that, you, that God hates sin and that I need to repent of that sin. If I love the Lord with all my heart, then I have to hate my sin. But I, I want to just, I need to do a counterpoint on this. Um, because there are some of us who take that too far. And you can say, Bob, how do you take hating sin too far? Um, and I might go a little long here, so forgive me. Uh, hopefully lunch isn't going to burn. Um, but, you know, I once had a conversation with somebody um, after I, I preached on, um, I'm drawing a blank, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
and First um, Corinthians chapter, no, Second Corinthians chapter one, and um, I sp- I spoke about confidence, having confidence um, as a believer, and um, and he he came to me, um, somebody came to me after the sermon and said, so are you saying we don't have to repent? If I have confidence, because God is my Father, that I don't have to repent. And the Lord really laid on my heart to ask him a question that I'm going to ask you. Um, If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and you commit a sin today, and you die before you have a chance to tell God, I'm sorry. Are you going to heaven or hell? Are you going to heaven or hell? And, and I have to tell you, I saw this man, this young man, torn inside, right? He was torn inside because he didn't know what to say. So he had grown up in a very conservative church um, that, that was very you know, very boom, 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 boom. I don't know how else to say it without taking another hour. Um, And he felt he had to say, you're going to hell. But yet at the same time, I could see him torn because I could see him wanting to say, you're going to heaven. And so I asked him, which are you going to say? And he goes, I don't know. I'm like, which do you want to say? He goes, I want to say heaven, but I feel I need to say hell. I'm like, why is it that you feel like you want to say heaven? And he said, because, because I feel that's, that's what God is like. I'm like, so then why do you say, why do you have to say hell? And he said, because that's what I've been taught. And so here's my, here's the gauntlet, right, for you all, if I throw it down, is which would you say? Because if we say hell, we are in some level saying we are saved by what we do. That if I, if I don't repent automatically, I'm automatically going to hell. But I will tell you that there is a father heart in our, in our Lord and Savior, in God the Father, as well as what we see in Jesus Christ, right? That there is a heart of love and of mercy. And, and, and so I gave this, this man who was a young father, I said, Would, if your son hurt you and did something wrong, would you kick him out of the house? He said, absolutely not. Look, then why do you think God would just automatically kick you out of the house? Now, could, could your son walk away? He said, yes. Could your son never come back if he walked away? Yes. Would you want him to come back? Yes. That's the heart of God. Right? That's the heart of God. Now, if we love our Father, we will seek to repent. We will hate sin because we love him. Because we love him. But we cannot fall into the trap. We cannot fall into the trap of saying, this damn heaven, this damn hell, this damn heaven, this damn hell. That's not God. You're either his child or you're not. You can choose to walk away someday. You can apostatize. The Bible talks about it. But God loves you. 
And there can be confidence in being a a child of God. If I walk by faith, according to Romans 8, if I love the Father, if I walk by faith, I'm a child, a joint heir. (laughs) I'm, 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 I'm an adopted child of the King, along with Christ, Romans 8 says. And there's confidence in that. But let's never, ever get ahead of ourselves and think we know it and think we got this and let our life just become, I don't know what word to use, but the word wrote just keeps coming back to me. This idea that I just do it because I do it. And why do I do it? Because that's what I've been taught to do. And so I just do it, right? And God forbid that that becomes our lives as believers, we have to have a heart for God and a heart for each other. And when we gather in, his, in, in, the, in the church together as a local body, right, we need to be caring for each other, loving each other, and be really desperate to see each other and treasure the time we have together. And when we're apart from each other, it has to hurt because that's what a body is. And that's what we got to cling to. And so um, we could go on with this message in, in, in Luke chapter 6. Um, because there's more to it, and there's some powerful verses that follow after this. But just think about, think about what we did talk about, and think about how it applies to you. We prayed at the beginning that God would speak to each of you individually, to each of us individually. I believe he has. I believe he has. And I just pray that each of us could take it to heart. Amen.